Thank you for coming here today. It's me, Linda Sage, on Learning From Life. One thing I can promise you, there'll be people to meet over the airways here you'll never forget. Some, as long as you live. Let's just say, most have had what could be termed as an interesting life. It's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And one line from any of them could change the way you deal with things forever. There'd be landing from all parts of the planet, all ages, backgrounds and experiences. Telling the truth of how it was and how they manage things may just help you miss a rock or two along your road too. Hi and thank you for joining us again and we're off on another journey of fantastic interviews. Today I have the amazing Ed Tate joining me and all the way across the other side of the pond. Hi Ed. How are you? Good. Isn't it amazing what technology can do? Oh, it's. I'm amazed every single time, and you know, now it gives credence to the the phrase uh, "global village" because we truly live in a global village nowadays, uh, connected by technology. And and I must admit, I think well, one of the things that we've come through this situation now globally a lot more connected because so many more people are actually connecting uh, virtually. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I've been more, I've been to more parties, more virtual parties than I have been to actual parties uh, since this has taken place. Over the past 48 hours, I have gone to two virtual birthday parties for friends of mine in the speaking business. Uh, one party had uh, over 80 people and the, the last party was at seven o'clock this morning uh, here in the U.S. and that one was uh, 120 people were on the, at that party. My goodness, that's a bit early to go to a party in the morning. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a surprise party, and uh, they truly pulled off the surprise by having it at, uh, well, 7 o'clock my time. It was actually 8 o'clock uh, their time. Oh, that's fantastic. So, Ed, I'm sure most of uh, the listeners around the world uh, know who you are, but just in case, let's ha- uh, have a little bit of your history. How did you come about being a speaker? Well, let's see. I uh, I have t- two uh, designations or two titles, if you will. The, the first of which is something called the World Champion of Public Speaking. Uh, for Toast, uh, Toastmasters International, is a global organization. Uh, this is my definition. You can go to Toastmasters.org and get their definition. But I think they help people improve their confidence. And they do that one of two ways. Number one, through public speaking. The other way is through leadership development. Well, they have an annual competition they've had for the past 75 years. It's called the World Championship of Public Speaking. It's a year-long competition, six different rounds, 30,000 contestants. In the year 2000, I was the last speaker standing. So it was, again, that's one of my, my one designation. That was a life-changing win. By the way, there was no prize money, just in case you're winning. Uh, you're curious. And uh, I got a Lucite tri- trophy. But the life-changing part was having that designation I got approached by different entities like speakers, bureaus, agents, training companies, consulting firms, and it's taken me around the world. Uh, In 2008, I earned something called the the CSP, Certified Speaking Professional designation, and that is the designation uh, conferred by the Global Speakers Association. Uh, About approximately 12% of speakers worldwide have that particular designation. How I became a speaker? I used to be an executive in the computer industry. My mother passed away because of breast cancer. So I was doing some volunteer work for uh, the Susan G. Komen organization, which is a huge 
breast cancer organization here uh, in the States. And I gave a speech, and the speech was called The Gifts My Mother Gave. And I talked about when my mother passed away, the gift that I got. And that gift was that growing up, I didn't know any part of my mom's family. Uh, apparently, there was some family feud that I never knew the, the details of. However, when she passed away, I got a chance to meet those family members, and I got a whole new family. So I gave that speech uh, in front of that audience, and I remember a woman by the name of Christy Ward walking up to me and saying, she says, like, that's one of the greatest speeches I've ever heard. Would you consider working for us? And I says, doing what? And she said, uh, being a speaker. And I literally looked at her, and I said, that's a job? Really? <laughs> And, uh, and then she worked for a training company, and she, and she told me how much they made. And I said, oh, no, we, we, I, I won't do that. Because at the time, I was a, an executive making six figures here in the States. But we stayed in touch. And the more I learned, the more intrigued I became. And then once I won the World Championship of Public Speaking, then uh, I looked her up, and the rest, as they say, is history. So that's, that's my background. Uh, my website is editedtape.com, so if you want to see videos, I can also be seen on YouTube, etc. So if you want to catch up, you, I, there's, there's plenty, plenty of content out there. So let's just go back a little bit. So uh, when you started off uh, on your journey to being this world champion public speaker, obviously you weren't as confident, as competent as you are now. So what made you start on that journey? Well, you know, um, I had joined a Toastmasters club and uh, there was a gentleman who had actually founded the club and he said, hey, you're really, really good. And, it, and for the, again, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Toastmasters, it's a, a weekly meeting. And I had, I had spoken a few times. I won a couple of the club contests and he says, hey, you're good enough to win the world championship of public speaking. And again, I had no idea what that meant. I just knew that I was good in the club. This was fun. At the time, it was a hobby. I didn't really take it seriously. And his name is Rand uh, Randall Shelton. And then so one day, I actually changed jobs because in my first job, I was traveling a great deal. I was traveling all over the country. And then I became the training director for one of the local newspapers, uh, the Denver uh, the, the Denver Rocky Mountain News. And since I wasn't traveling, the first thing Randall walks up to me and says, hey, now you can enter the contest. And I'm thinking to myself, now I can enter this bloody contest. So I made a deal with him because it was getting awkward. Every time I would come to the, the club meetings, he would always talk about the contest and it was getting really weird and awkward. And I was thinking like, well, you know, should I enter this contest or should I quit the club? So we, we have a conversation. This is great. Randall, here's the deal. I'm going to enter this contest. And then once I lose, you know, we'll never have this discussion again. And I never lost. I, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a, one of a handful of people who the first time they competed, they won the competition. And in this particular case, Randall saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And, you know, I'm pretty sure your listeners have had that experience. Uh, you have a family, a friend, an adult, a, a mo mother, father, colleague, you know, they see something in you that you don't see in yourselves. And I'm so thankful that Randall saw whatever it was that he saw in me. And also Christy, she saw something as well that wasn't clear to me. And I, I, I'm in a career that I absolutely love. I mean, I've been around the world 25 times. I met my wife uh, in South Africa. We have a lovely one-year-old baby and it was a life-altering event. So you've not only taken yourself up through the ranks, but you've also coached other world champions as well. I have. Um, let's see, in 2016, there was a young man by the name of Darren Tay. Uh, Darren Tay was, he had just graduated 
from university and became an attorney. And we, I helped him create his championship speech. Now, again, this is a typically a year-long competition. Uh, you know, a, you know, a year to nine months in terms of preparation. And for every major round, you have to come up with a new speech. So he had won. He won the semifinals the day before. Forty. He's got forty-eight hours to prepare for the other speech. And usually, you have your other speech prepared. Well, Darren didn't have a speech prepared. So starting from scratch, literally thirty-six hours, we created a brand new speech for him, and he was able to win the world championship. Now, it's unheard of. It was, I think it was, you know, lightning in a bottle. We were at the right time at the right place. We had the right message. Um, you know, obviously, since I'd gone through the experience, I knew what he could expect. To be perfectly honest with you, I did not expect him to win. Uh, because I, the, my goal was to make sure that, you know, he didn't have a poor performance, that he would embarrass himself, he would embarrass his club, or he would embarrass his family. So my goal here was to make sure that he did a, a really, really good job. Good job. Our challenge was for him to memorize this new speech that we had created in less than 36 hours. And he kept getting it wrong. The first time he actually got it right was when he was on stage in front of 2,000 people plus thousands more live stream. And that was the first time he got it right. And that's when he won the world championship. Um, the current world champion is a, another client of mine. His name is Aaron Beverly. Um, I've coached him in the past, but I, I'm not going to take credit for his his current championship. Uh, Aaron, the thing I admire about Aaron, and this is a good lesson for anyone, Aaron was in that mode where you're a student and you're absorbing and you're taking on, you're, you're reading content and you're you're trying different things and, and you're listening to different people's opinions. And then finally, there comes a point where you stop inputting and it's time for you to output. So Aaron, on this particular speech, I remember, I says, hey, Aaron, do you, do you need help here? It's just like, he says, no, I got it. I think I've, I've got an idea. And I'm so proud of him because he went from input to output. He shared ideas that it was his ideas and his concepts that were out there in the world. And I advise that for anyone, anyone listening to this podcast, there comes a point when you got to stop watching YouTube videos. You got to stop watching whoever your mentors are, and the world needs to hear your voice, whatever that voice is. And here's the good news: there's plenty of room for your voice because there's a person in the audience who's suffering in silence, and the and you're the only one who can deliver that message for that individual. In fact, that was my advice to Darren Tay. I told Darren. I remember like when he showed me his, his first presentation and I said, this is terrible. And I said, this, you're not going to give this. And the, my words to him were, there's someone suffering in silence in the audience. You have the cure. You have the answer. You've had an experience that you've gone through that can help others. So I want you to focus on what that might be. And thankfully, he had a great idea. And uh, you can, again, you can watch that on YouTube, just, you know, Darren Tay. Uh, 2016 world champion of public speaking and you can see for yourself yeah it was a great it was a great speech well worth a, a watch and the, the, some of the lessons that you i know you you're very much uh yourself when you train you there, there's no hidden agendas you open up and you're you're very genuine with people so what are the, some of these lessons that you've learned along the way that have, have kept you grounded 
Oh, man. <laughs> well, you know, uh, okay, part of my secret recipe for speaking is, and I, this is going to sound counterintuitive, and that is the audience decides. And what do I mean by that? So my, my championship speech, I practiced that well over 25 times in front of at least 25 different audiences before the world championship. And when I was testing the content and the ideas, there were some ideas that I was married to. I said, oh, this is going to be great. This is brilliant. But what I noticed is no matter how many times I delivered that idea or that concept within my speech, it never seemed to resonate with the audience. And then finally, I just had to cut it because the audience voted in this particular case five separate times, five different audiences. It never resonated with them that that content wasn't working. So that was one of my, I think my principles is that, you know, the audience always decides. The other thing is test, test, test. You want to test your ideas. You want to test your material in front of, you know, I'm a paid professional speaker. And what that means is every time I'm in front of an audience, everything I do must work. This is not the time for experimentation. Every idea, every concept, uh, every humor line, you know, Everything must work and everything must be tested prior to me hopping on that stage. So those are some of my, 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 my primary principles in terms, I think, that have made me very, very successful. Is, is there a time that you can actually think of that something hasn't worked? And oh. <laughs> put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Isn't it amazing? You know, you, you remember your losses more than you remember your successes. So the moment you ask me that question, I immediately go to Saudi Arabia. So uh, backstory, I won the World Championship of Public Speaking in the year 2000. Around 2003, I'm invited to speak in Saudi Arabia. Got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. At the time, the U.S. was at war in the Persian Gulf. So I'm, I'm very, very nervous. But a friend of mine who was a commander in the Navy said, <clears throat> uh, the, <clears throat> the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, they will, you know, they'll take care of you. And, and they did. And I did like a lot of homework. I did like a lot of preparation. I studied their culture. I made sure that all my presentations, I took out the American idioms. I mean, idioms are these things which, you know, your culture may understand, but another culture won't understand. So I was very conscientious about that. And, and, and that presentation was very, very successful. Fast forward two years later, they invite me back to speak again. Now, prior to my trip to Saudi Arabia, I had a speaking engagement in Montreal. And it was killer. I mean, it was, I mean, the standing ovation, the audience loved me. So mentally, in my mind, I'm, I'm in this airplane flying over the Atlantic, headed towards Saudi Arabia. And mentally, in my mind, I have the audience of Montreal in my head. And I also have the audience from Saudi Arabia from two years ago in my head. Big mistake. Big mistake. Here is the rule of presenting. On this day, you have never given this content to this audience uh, on this particular day. Treat each audience as unique and as a unique audience that it is. So I go over there. I'm a little cavalier. I'm a little overconfident. I go on stage and I didn't do the previous work that I did before. I didn't take out the American idioms. I didn't do that homework. I didn't, I didn't do all the things that made me successful the first time. 
I'm in front of a thousand people and it is deadly silent. No response, no reaction. I, right now, Linda, I can still see and feel those beads of sweat rolling down my back. Now, I walked off the stage and I was completely humiliated and I was very, very upset with myself. However, I had three more presentations in front of this audience. So I was determined that day, I went home, I went to my, my hotel room that night and I literally took my next presentations and I completely tore them up and I just started all over from scratch. I stayed up all night because I was going to be the opening keynote speaker the following day and I want to make sure that that presentation resonated. And it did. I won the audience back. And then I had several other presentations in front of that same audience and I did the same amount of work for them. So that was a lesson for me. And so here's a couple things. Let's talk about presenting. Nervousness is a good thing. So why do I say that? Because nervousness is your, uh, the signal from your body that you're, you, you care and you're concerned about this particular presentation. So nervousness is a good thing. And this, on this particular presentation, I was not nervous at all. In fact, I was arrogant. I was overconfident. There were no nervous signals to my body at all. And what I've learned from this day forward is that, you know, if I don't, if I'm not feeling nervous, you know what? I'm overconfident. Okay. Let's look at my presentation again. Let's practice again. Let's rehearse. Let me call up the client and, and let me actually call up the client and make sure these ideas are resonating. Is there something that <clears throat> I haven't, I haven't, any homework I haven't done? So, you know, that, that's my story right there. And uh, that's, that's the most painful one. I, although I did get a piece of advice from a friend of mine. Uh, when I stood up that after that first night of that presentation, I called up a really good friend of mine. Her name is Lisa Jo Landsberg. And it was the middle of the night in Saudi Arabia, but it was during the day in the States. And I, and I said, Lisa Jo, you're not going to believe it. I messed up and I was just, I was, I was beating myself up so badly. And she said something that I will never forget. She said, Ed, don't beat yourself up so bad. She says, you have a lot of junk in your trunk. Now, that is an American idiom. And, and it even took me off guard, okay? And I'm thinking like, oh, what do you mean? I got junk in my trunk. She says, your 50% is better than most people's 100%. So, you you know, um, that's over. She says, don't, you know, don't replay that. Don't beat yourself up again. And she says, start anew the following day. And that was very wise wisdom. A new canvas to, uh, to start again. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, I mean, just before we came on, we were talking about the people that you have been with uh, today or you spend a lot of time with. And uh, we're not going to just name drop, but these people are world champions of speakers, they're professional speakers. So surrounding yourself with similar minded people of what you want to do. How important is that for you? You know, um, a very good question. I remember when I was still in the computer industry and I was executive in a computer industry and I went to and I was I was I went to some people who were out who were not in the speaking industry and I remember I, Steve Fante now Steve Fante is uh, an American here who started a high tech technology firm and his and his business did like 30 to 40 million dollars annually so I remember going to Steve because I felt he was a mentor and I went to him, I said, Steve, I'm thinking about getting into the speaking business. And he said, Ed, don't do that. He says, you'll end up like a waiter. You know, like, you know, that's what most actors are. And 
Steve was in his own way looking out for me because the only way that Steve saw success was through the lens of working in the computer industry. He saw speaking and acting. He says the vast majority of people he saw in, the, in, the, in, his, in his experience were actors and waiters. Well, what I needed to do was surround myself with people who were already in the business and people who are already in the industry. So when I got into the, uh, I joined the National Speakers Association, they had something called an apprentice program. And it was for aspiring speakers. Now, in uh, there in Great Britain, it's called Professional Speakers Association, which is the, and you've got an outstanding uh, chapter there. I've actually spoken there a couple of times. But you need to surround yourself with other like-minded individuals who believe in your dream and who believe in your vision. And that was absolutely critical. Now, the one thing I learned from the computer industry was always seek out the most successful people in the industry. So I said, you know what, I'm going to try that in the speaking industry. So the first person I sought out was a guy by the name of Mark Sanborn. Mark Sanborn is in the Speaking Hall of Fame. He has a best-selling book called The Fred Factor, which has sold over 3 million copies worldwide. I sent him an email. And I said, Mark, you're the best speaker I've ever seen live. I don't even know what I can do to support you, but if there's anything I can do to support you, you know, please let me know. And he was so intrigued that he said, okay, let's have a cup of coffee. And during that cup of coffee, we hit it off. We became fast friends. I just got, you know, got a text message from him today. And he's a person who helped me launch my career. Then from there, there's a lady by the name of Patricia Fripp, who's also in the Speaking Hall of Fame. Uh, she, By the way, she's one of the virtual birthday parties I went to just this past Saturday. And, you know, go to Fripp.com. And, you know, if you want, you know, she was my coach. She was my, she's the first person I paid money to in terms of getting lessons in terms of becoming a keynote speaker. So I've always surrounded my, myself with people who support me, but also people who are very, very successful in the industry. And uh, there's a Tony Robbins expression and it goes like success leaves clues. So regardless of the industry that you're in, always find those people who are, you know, very, very successful. Here's one thing I used to do when I used to work in corporate America. I would actually make an appointment with one of the top executives and I would say, hey, I'm really impressed with your career. I like to you know, follow your path. Can you tell me what are some of the things that you've done to become successful? I cannot tell you the number of executives who I initially asked for 10 minutes who gave me almost an hour or more and they would just stop not because so few people do that. So few people ask them how they became successful, not realizing or understanding that these people are willing and they want to tell their secrets of success. That's a, that's a great uh, piece of advice, and I think it's so important for everybody. You know, follow people that are already on the path. Don't reinvent the wheel all the time. Well, I'm sorry to say that our time, we, I know we could talk for, eight, for ages and you've got so much to say and there's so, so much interesting things that we could talk about. Perhaps we'll have to do uh, a sequel to come, come back and revisit. But what are you up to yourself now at the moment, uh, Ed? Well, there is a, a website called Stage Time University. Uh, it's headed by Darren LaCroix. And... Uh, and we are actually doing an a, a online workshop. It's called Virtual Presentations. Obviously, the world is on lockdown or in quarantine. And we, the world finds itself in the place where you have to communicate virtually. 
you know, on, you know, various devices like, you know, Zoom or Skype or GoToMeetings, et cetera. And you have to do that maybe for your job or, um, you know, maybe, you know, friends and family, you have to communicate with your boss, your, your team, your colleagues, et cetera. And what we discovered is there's a lot of people out there who don't know how to do this. And there's a lot of people out there who are, who are probably making mistakes. And one of the things about making virtual presentations, if you make mistakes, they, they last uh, in perpetuity, which is a legal term, which means forever. So we're putting together a two-day workshop in terms of virtual presentations workshops. It's by myself, Darren LaCroix, who's a 2001 world champion, and Mark Brown, who is the 1995 world champion, because we have been doing virtual presentations for years. You know, we're not just hopping on the COVID, you know, 19 bandwagon, if you will. So if people are interested, just go to Stagetown University, um, search for virtual presentations. And if you're interested in attending that workshop, just, you know, click on the button. Um, I have a 25% discount and the discount is ED25, no spaces, ED25. So if you go to the website, you put that into the coupon code, you'll save 25% off of the admission. Wow, that's a great offer. And something that, uh, you know, three world champions together, how can you lose? Well, thank you. Appreciate that. So, Ed, I want to say thank you so much for your time and all your insights. There were so many golden nuggets here, and this is the great thing about podcasts. You can go back and listen to as many times as you want to, which is lovely. So wishing you well. I know it's uh, early for you over there, but uh, have a great day, and thank you for being with us, Ed. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded in conjunction with the Chapel FM Art Centre and East Leeds FM radio station. For more information about them and all the good work that they do is www.elfm.co.uk. And to know more about what Linda Sage is doing, her website is www.lindasage.com. Also on all the other social medias.